Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics on Red. I'm Egberto Willis. Thank you so kindly for being here with us today. We are going to have a great program for you, as usual. Anyway, welcome aboard Michael Rodney, AVQ, Bridge MCP, Paul Fleming, checking in from ATL. Great to see all you guys out there. We are going to have a great show for you today. Vamos a tener un buen programa por todos esta mañana, esta tarde, mejor dicho. This afternoon, we're going to have a great program, folks. Anyhow, let's see. You know, Michael Rudden always starts us with some good, a good daily phrase. So, Trump provoked deadly capital riot. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell says, impeachment is imminent. No, 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 no. Impeachment already occurred. The mob was f- was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people, McConnell said on the Senate floor. Actually, what's going to happen is conviction, we hope, is imminent. Michael Rudnan then says, poll, Republican support for convicting Trump in Senate growing. I wonder if McConnell and the Republicans will do what's right. If they'll just run out the clock, less than 24 hours remain until Biden is sworn in. Carmen Alagahu, welcome aboard also from ATL. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. And let's see, Egberto, conviction, removal, yes. That's what we want. That's what we want. Nanette, welcome aboard. Anyhow, we're ha- we're going to have a great show for you today. Uh, what is it going to be? Let's get that up to the screen, the screen today. Paulette Stansel, under lockdown, but I'm safe. You must be in D.C., Paulette. Is that where you're at? Where are you and why are you locked down? Anyhow, <coughs> let's get busy. Jerry Locke, director of ticks. <coughs> you know what? I'm getting the coughs. I'm getting too excited. Anyhow, to, you know, we have two, two uh, on Tuesdays, we have two programs, okay? At KPFT 90.1 FM, Egberto Willis is on right now as well. We, we, are actu- we actually have a, the, uh, on air, K- 90.1 FM Houston, we have a local person uh, that found out about a bill here in Texas that is really working on voter suppression. We'll play that one tomorrow here on K uh, on our local program on our network program but on the Pacifica network and KPFT 90.1 we have the program if you take a look at what we're if you take a look at our screen you'll see that we have two different sets of programs going on right now as we speak at three o'clock so KPFT is playing a different program than we are today anyhow going back into play going back into play Jerry Locke director of Texas drought project contrast the Green New Deal with Biden's plan and more. Yes, D.C. in the house. Thank you very much, Paulette. Love D.C. too. Baby out there. Anyhow, environmentalist Jerry Locke contrasts the Green New Deal with Biden's environmental policy. Mitch throws Cruz overboard along with Trump under the bus. And it's about time, don't you think? Anyhow, let's go ahead and get started. Let's see what McConnell did today. Let's see what El Senor McConnell did today. Won't you know, Mitch McConnell has thrown not only Donald Trump, but Ted Cruz and Josh Howley under the bus. If you take a look and you listen to exactly what he had to say, it is pretty, pretty deep, especially with a Ted Cruz presiding over the Senate at this point in time. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. 
and they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. But we pressed on. We stood together and said an angry mob would not get veto power over the rule of law in our nation, not even for one night. Now, what must Lindsey Graham, who doesn't want impeachment, be thinking right now? Who doesn't want to have the impeachment come over to the Senate? What must he be thinking? What must Ted Cruz be thinking? Well, don't think that Mr. McConnell uh, somehow now developed some sort of a conscience. That's not what really happened. What really happened is we had a seditious, unpatriotic in, uh, insurrection and they are starting to lose corporate dollars. He wants to show that the Republican Party is still sane, that the Republican Party is still relevant, that the Republican Party is going to leave its cultish adoration of a president and a cultish adoration from some of its really uh, out-of-this-world senators like, uh, like Hawley and Cruz and, of course, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham. Don't don't think this means anything, but what it shows is that McConnell will throw whoever he has to throw under the bus uh, to save what he believes the Republican Party still is. Unfortunately for Mitch McConnell, I think the Republican Party that he wants to continue to lead is long gone. You take a look at Donald Trump's polls, even though the Republican Party uh, represent 25%, so it's just a little bit of people. But the Republican Party is still Donald Trump's party. McConnell, you're going to have to work much harder to get it back. He's going to have to work much harder to get it back. But I have a little message for my good friend here, Jota A. Gonzalez, J.A. Gonzalez. Guess what? Uh, we need a Hispanic Stacey Abrams here in Texas. We sure do. But in the interim, all of those who can, uh, can actually address the Latino community or whatever, they need to do it. And... Yours truly will be working with the HPJC and Univision to work on uh, to work on reach out in the Latino communities. Uh, you, you should see. I, I think I am going to be interviewed sometime later on in the month with Univision and different options that we have to address the Latino community of all factions, meaning not only the La, not only the Mexican Latino community, but the but the Lat, the Latino communities from Cuba. Uh, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Panama, and all these other places. So we'll be talking a whole lot about that with Univision uh, in the near in the, in, ver in the very near term under the auspices of the Houston Peace and Justice Center, which uh, I'm a part of as well. So yeah, we're we're going to be making some strides here to to bring in the Latinos, hermano mío. Anyway, continuing. You know, uh, Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd. Uh, did something great today. You know, every time Chuck Todd does anything really, really good or really, really bad, we have to kind of feature him because he, he's one of the mainstays on Standard TV right now. So what he did is he called out a Republican congressman. You know, anytime I see that, I have to hyperventilate. I have to get, oh, he's doing a great thing. I want you to check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Republicans have a serious problem on their hands. You know what? Uh, Donald Trump left them with the title of insurrectionist, seditionist, unpatriotic. Think about that. 
the Republican Party that likes to go out there and preach patriotism attempted to overthrow the United States government. That is what we have. The ones that sing patriotism. And, you know, we, we understand what the Republican politicians are going to go out there and do. They're going to try to start saying the false equivalents. We have the crazies on the left and we have the crazies on the right. Well, uh, a lot of times they get away with it. A lot of the hosts usually let them get away with it. And I was kind of happy with Chuck Todd today. I want you to listen to this and then let's take it on the other side. The conservative echo chamber makes it nearly impossible for you to work across the aisle at times. I assume you get a lot of grief anytime you try to work with a Democrat by some of your constituents, no? We do, uh, but they respect as I've stood in front of them in our town halls. Uh, and I still have support in our district across all spectrums of the conservative spectrum. They respect because they know who I am. They know where I stand. I deal with them genuinely and, and with, our, with, with my sincere beliefs. And uh, they give me that leeway because they know I'm with them. The end uh, when we agree. They also understand that I will compromise, and that what I'm compromising on is what we can find that common low, that common ground. 80 percent. Democrats are facing this same fight. Don't lose sight of this. I've talked to my Democratic colleagues at length. They are losing. They are having this battle with their hard left. Extremism is what is at the root of this problem uh, that is adding to this in, this gridlock in Washington and the fact that we can't get anything done because people sincerely don't want to come together and stand up to their extremes on both sides of the aisle. I hear that. But when, whenever you hear both sides, you know, people get triggered by this, by just that phrase, both sides. And I kind of understand why times, because it's sort of like, OK, um, you know, those on the left will argue, wait a minute, this guy over here, Trump's just triggering left and right. I mean, you look at that 1776 garbage he put out yesterday. These aren't the attempts to bring America together. That was a missed opportunity. I just got asked by some of our local press on that. The missed opportunity of the Trump administration was that opportunity when we had economic records and, and, and before COVID-19, opportunity to bring the country together. And, and I recognize that. That's why I hope President Biden seizes on an opportunity when COVID-19 becomes history, bring the country together. Uh, but you're absolutely right. When we have the opportunity to heal the nation, we should use it and bring people together. And the rhetoric on the left, though, can be very divisive at the same time. And you and I shared the story that I experienced with a dead rat, uh, with a brick, yeah. with two deaths of my children from the left that was left on my front step this last election cycle. It is on both sides of the aisle, Chuck, and it's not acceptable. And we both can agree that's not acceptable behavior in America. There's no doubt that there was only one side that tried to overthrow the Capitol. Um, but I think that's where people get get very, you know, hey, let's not share the blame immediately here. This got out of hand on the right. Totally, absolutely correct on that. There was only one side that tried to overthrow the Capitol. That is true. But look, they like to say hard left. There is no hard left in, in our Senate. There is no hard left in our Congress. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar... They are not hard left. Rashida Talib, they are not hard left. The policies they support would have been mainstream in the 70s. And you know where, what we've done. You know how far we've fallen behind because we don't have the types of policies which would have gone through had there not been a Ronald Reagan. So let's be clear here. There is no far left in Congress. There is no far left in the Senate. There's no far left that we've ever run for anything. They have QAnon. They have all these people that follow these conspiracy theories that are currently members of the Senate and members of Congress. There is no equivalence there between the far right 
and those of us that are progressive. There is no equivalence. And it's good that he didn't do it forcefully, but it's good that Chuck Todd called it out. He didn't just let it stand. The party that attempted to overthrow this government was the Republican Party. Absolutely so. And here's what I wrote at Daily Coast because I want it to be clear. They, the, the, three, the three monikers, the three tenets, the three monikers that Republicans use to describe themselves, the three tenets they claim to live by, that one, that one uh, 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 seditious in, insurrection cleaned it all up. It makes them lose that completely, and we better use it. Check what I wrote. I put this on the Daily Coast, and I'm going to put it on Op-Ed News, another place that I'm in it. Right, check this out. Republicans have a serious problem on their hands. You see, the party that likes to sell itself as the party of law and order, the party of Blue Lives Matter, and the Patriotic Party lost every single one of those monikers in which one seditious insurrection. They killed a cop. They broke the law and attempted to overthrow a democratically elected government, and one of their protégés attempted to sell a stolen laptop to Russian spies. Everything that they claim, and you know, when I talk about projection, a party that likes to project itself onto others, everything that they project onto others are the things that they do. Spying and throwing stuff, given the... the, the given, Given Pelosi's laptop to the Russians. Think about this. They are, I mean, we are one country. Whether Democrat or Republican, we are one. We are like a family. But we have a patri a, a, an unpatriotic traitor given the laptop of one of the highest ranking people in this country giving it to the Russians or, or attempting to give it to the Russians. We have the law and order party kill a police officer with a, 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 a fire extinguisher. We have them attack police officers, dragging them and beating them with an American flag. These are the patriotic people now. And the people that claim to be Blue Lives Matter. Law and order. Every tenet that they stood for or claim that they stood for. Think about it. That is what occurred. And the president sat down in a tent, and then at the White House, watched it, and smiled. The people were going crazy. President, president, we can't have that image out there. His daughter came in. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. We can't have that image. Call them off. Call them off. And then he goes out there and then he says, he lies to them again, I won the election. The man lost the election by more than 7 million votes. It's an aberration of the Constitution that the Electoral College could come down to a few votes in a few states. It's not, a dem it's not democratic in any facet whatsoever. But, what can I say? They still want to fight like hell for losing. Don't, don't fight a losing battle. Figure out what people want. Figure out what people need. It is imperative that we not allow Republicans to draw false equivalences between their seditious insurrection and anything done on the left.
we must pin them continuously and correctly as unpatriotic, undemocratic people who attempted to overthrow the U.S. government. This must be done through the election of 2022 and 2024. We must lay into the American people, including the 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump, who voted for these seditious people, meaning Ted Cruz, meaning Josh, uh, what is it, Josh Heyman? We must make them know these people don't care about democracy. These people don't care about killing cops. These people don't care about breaking the law. These people don't care about destroying property for a loss on a lie. They like to equate it with Black Lives Matter. There's no comparison. Black Lives Matter are attempting to get some honor, to, to live, to not have a police state that uses their bodies as targets. Think about that. It's no comparison. These guys were willing to destroy the American government on a lie. A lie that most of them knew was a lie. A lie that, that Mitch McConnell goes, finally, finally Mitch McConnell says a lie. He finally admits that what the Republicans were doing, those, of, those insurgents in the Senate, in the House, that attempted to take the election away from Biden, he finally admits it's a lie. And you know what got him to admit it was a lie? Do you really think he admitted it was a lie because, oh, McConnell saw the light? It wasn't that McConnell saw the light. I'm going to show you what McConnell saw. And I think Bridge MCP alluded to it already. I'm going to show you what McConnell saw. This is what McConnell saw. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you. And I Bridge MCP, this should touch you as well, my dear uh, lady. Corporate donors flee Republican Party following Capitol Hill riot, and it's only the beginning. And it wasn't a riot. It was a an unpatriotic, seditious insurrection. Let's get it correct. Unpatriotic. Every 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 everybody listening to me. Have this on the tip of your tongue. Unpatriotic, seditious uh, insurrection. Let's repeat. Unpatriotic, sedition, insurrection. Okay? We must name it what it is. These these people that are not patriotic, these people that want power at all costs, whether they win or lose, we must have it. We must have it. And uh, by the way, Bridge, on 1776, I didn't see your message yet, but I'll check it out. But I know what you're talking about. So let's be clear, people. These people were violent. These people didn't care about human life. And these people just wanted power. And they went in there, and several of them in the, in, in the, on the video says, Cruz and Hawley wants us to do this. That's what they said. We have it on tape. We have it on tape. So there is no doubt about it. So let's be honest here and not let anybody fool you or not anybody get on the other side of you. All right, we have a, we have a tape with an environmentalist who's going to contrast the Green New Deal with the, um, 
There you go, Rose. Rose, welcome aboard. Rose, I hope you're doing fine. I, I, I texted you a couple of times to check up on, actually three or four times to check up on you. How are you doing, my friend? Let us know. We want to. We want you to tell us how you're doing, my dear, beautiful friend. Uh, go ahead, Rose. Tell us how you're doing. Please, please do before I, I go to the video. But anyhow, folks, um, let me tell you. Let's go ahead and uh, 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 go ahead and ask people. Those of you that are on YouTube, please go ahead and click the join button. We need we need uh, we need memberships on sub, uh, on YouTube. We need memberships on Patreon. We need memberships via PayPal. And the reason why is uh, the truth is we need a lot more support. Oh, I'm so sorry, Rose, that you're still unwell. Uh, I know this stuff can be very tough, my dear. I know it can be very tough. My cousin had it, and that was the same case as well. Uh, please, folks, uh, go to uh, our click the join button on at YouTube, and please become a a, a member. Join our membership, as as Bridge MCP calls it. Join the PDR posse. We really, really need you. Uh, alternatively, if you're not on YouTube right now, you can still join the posse. By going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. That is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon. To become a patron, you go to politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And, of course, you can support us as well via PayPal. That is politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal, politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. Alternatively, if you want, you can purchase our, uh, not alternative, in addition to, we'd love for you to get our book on how to communicate with others. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And believe it or not, I have quite a few right-wing relatives as well. And we get along quite well. Anyhow, I just placed that link on the screen. And if you want to, uh, it's the Amazon link. If you want to uh, get it directly from us, where we'll autograph it and send you a bumper sticker, please get it directly from politicsandright.com slash store. politicsandright.com slash store. So I've put all the links in there. Please support us however you can. Uh, we really, really need your support to keep doing what we do. Uh, we, uh, there, there's a whole bunch that we do. We write many blogs every day to make sure that we populate the internet with the progressive message so that all of those people that are paid on the right to misinform you, we can mitigate that by giving you real, truthful information. We also write letters in newspapers. We write articles in newspapers. Uh, personally, I am also an, an editor at dailycoast.com, opednews.com as well as Democratic Underground and many other places so that we can get all this message out. I do several videos a day cutting them up. But what I need right now is help. I need a producer. I also need a graphics artist. I need a, 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 a social media person to help out all part-time. But I cannot get there until I have enough subscribers and members. So I ask you so kindly to please consider joining in however way you can, either as a Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube channel, or there are several ways that you can assist. Or get or or go go on YouTube and get some of our stuff, like our hoodies and our our clothes. We have a whole lot of stuff, both at our store, hoodies, all that good stuff. So I ask for your help 
thank you so kindly. Now, let me go ahead and give you the interview, the star of the day, Jerry Locke. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are here with Jerry Locke, who is the director of the Texas Drought Project, which was founded in 2009. Jerry, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Well, look, uh, first of all, thank you. Busy, busy, but doing fine. Well, I mean, you should be busy because we have a hell of a lot of problems in this country to correct. So um, that you're busy. That's absolutely true. I I think that you're busy says quite a bit. But anyhow, we're here to talk about uh, Biden's climate plan or, or the pieces that we like and the pieces that you're concerned about. So why don't uh, let me pass you the ball and tell me what it is exactly, first of all, that Texas Drought Project is all about. Well, we were formed in 2009, right after Waxman-Markey, the first big national bill. And we've been, we've had, you know, big projects, especially in the last five years. We 2015, we got 228 Texas organizations, all the the big organizations we wanted to sign a really strong resolution on climate. 2016, we got over 65% of the delegates at the Texas uh, Democratic Convention in San Antonio to sign another really strong statement in climate. Uh, And that was with one of the, the delegate, one of the presidential candidates working against us all day long. But we have lots of good volunteers. Uh, and then we had successes in 2017, the, uh, 2018, uh, but the last two years have been given almost entirely to trying to figure out a good, you know, to support the Green New Deal uh, and get a, a really good climate bill because uh, our, our calculations, and they, these are scientific calculations, are that at best we have four more years and that's four more years globally to cut, or at least in the big emitters globally, to cut emissions, or we will face the worst of climate change. Okay, when, when you say things like that, four more years, and I, I'm going to play a sort of devil's advocate. You know, I'm 100% behind the Green New Deal. But when you put a number out, like in four more years, something is going to happen. What is it that people are going to see in four more years, in your opinion? Um, There's an organization, I I don't want to go too far in this, but there's an organization called the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They were, they're kind of considered the gold standard, but they're not because the way they were set up, they were set up to be really conservative. Um, and, And they are. And every six years they issue a report, they look back at the report six years before that, and every every single time they underestimate what is going to happen. And one way that they are really conservative is that they, uh, the scientists, really good scientists, thousands of them write a scientific statement. And then that statement is edited line by line by politicians from the, from the uh, member country, 195 member countries. So what comes out is much more a political statement than a scientific statement. Two years ago, they said we have 12 years left, again, to make significant cuts globally or face the worst of climate change. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I bet you it's only six or less because that's, that's what happens in their reports. You know, there's a long, they have a long track record of underestimating what's going to happen. So we looked at some 
uh, others, uh, organizations. Um, there was one, especially uh, Christina Figueres, and people probably don't know her name, but she was real important. She was head of the UN climate negotiations. Uh, she was head of that from Copenhagen in 09 through the Paris Accord. Um, and she saw everything. And that was the, the, the six most vital years. And she saw everything. She's, you know, she heard everything. And she signed a, lo uh, a letter three and a half years ago uh, with a bunch of other scientists and uh, saying we had very little time left. Uh, we've decided, I have granddaughters, I have sons, I know lots of other people, I can't eliminate hope, and she could be wrong. Um, so what we're going with is a guy, Anderson, at Harvard, he's Professor Emeritus, uh, he was the one that found the hole in the ozone and led the fight to, to solve that problem. A year ago, he said we have five years, so that leaves four years left. Um, I could, you know, so that's where it comes from. And the worst of climate change is not the fires and the hurricanes, which are horrible that we're, we're witnessing, but it's when there isn't food on the table, there's ecological collapse. And that that is already happening in the Southern third of Africa. So I think what um, you're saying is that you get, the, you get the temperature variations and the changes that causes the growth patterns around the world to change, which then create uh, starvation, correct? Yeah, yeah. It'll be, there'll be, uh, in Southern Africa, they're, they're, they, it's a combination of drought and, and uh, but also that their crops just aren't coming in and their livestock are dying. And they're kind of the canary in the coal mine in terms of climate. They're leading, and that was all. Everyone always knew that Africa would lead, and Africa is leading in terms of the impact. Yeah, well, right it's now. actually the biggest, the real biggest continent in the planet, even though the maps don't quite show that. But um, let's go ahead and uh, uh, talk about. Uh, it, let, I want to localize it to Texas, and then we'll expand it to what Biden sure, is doing. Sure. Uh, what are you doing here in Texas? with regards or what's going on in Texas right now with regards to drought and climate change? Well, uh, there's drought here and there. It isn't like the drought that hit us in, in 2010 and 2011, it, but it's, it's, it's significant. If you talk to farmers out in West Texas, it's really significant. Um, there, and it's growing a little bit. Um, that isn't so much the problem. The problem is that what's ahead in the near future if we don't do something. And uh, right now, the, and it, you can't be kind of Texas solutions or Austin solutions right. or Houston solutions. It has to be a national bill. The, the problem is just too big for it to be, be done piecemeal. It has to be done with a national bill. Okay, now when you when you talk about going back to that four year mission, given that you know we know that Texas has been in a almost a consistent drought. Two, two, 2010 was horrendous. Right now, if I take a look at the lake levels on the Colorado River, I see some issues there and and, and other places. If we look at the Colorado River in Colorado, it's yeah. even worse. We have a constant decline in in the in the lake levels, which means we have low snowpacks, all that kind of stuff. 
four years, are you saying that uh, all these particular issues will get worse, correct? Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in four years, it will be too late. And regardless of what we do, it won't work. Well, there, there's geoengineering that, that could solve the, pro solve the problem, but Meaning it also could create a bigger problem than, than what we're witnessing. No, I'm not saying that it will be, that, that all the effects will be apparent in four years. I'm just saying we'll reach a point, what the scientists are saying, that it'll just be too late and we won't be able to do much about it. Uh, without resorting to ge geoengineering and everything that I've read, that that could that there's a possibility that could be have side effects as bad as climate change, and so we want to do it kind of the more traditional way. There's already too much, too many emissions in the atmosphere already, so we're going to have to do two things at the same time. We're going to have to lower our emissions with things like renewables and other things. We're going to have to figure out a way to take admissions out of the air. So it's new admissions. We need to stop new admissions and then take emissions out of the air. And you can do, Biden's plan ha actually has some of that. We, uh, farmers, they can grow different crops and they won't till in the same way. And their crops can be used to absorb uh, emissions and the same thing with forests and I gather that there's I, I was just reading this morning there's an initiative on forest also that might happen so that those two things can take care of the emissions in the air and then we need to go to we need to do a variety of different things but maybe the primary one being uh, being uh, excuse me uh, the primary one is uh, renewables and right. you know, just kind of put them out as much as we can, and fast as we can put them out. This is solvable. But okay, the so let's let's we, we know it's solvable. Now let's go ahead and equate this now to uh, Biden's plan. What's good about Biden plans, and can Biden plan as it stands right now start the mitigation, or is it just too little, too late? It's too little, too late, but it's a good start. It's much, much better than anything he's been associated with in the past. Um, and it, it has things of climate justice provisions that come from Green New Deal. They're kind of not filled out very much, but that they're there. It does a lot about transportation and electric cars and mass transit. Um, it does a lot of things about a lot of things, uh, but it's, it's still too late. It doesn't do anything about fracking. Um, except on federal lands. I tell you what, I think for the audience, what, what we probably should do here is so that the audience sees that uh, the work that you're doing is pretty damn complete. Uh, you have a, a website, a page that I'm going to post along with the blog post that goes with this. And let sure. me read a few things. You said that the Biden plan includes important but limited elements of climate justice for communities that have been damaged by emission and pollution in the past. Farmers changing their farming habits to sequester emissions, spending heavily on electric vehicles, mass transit and energy efficient buildings. If electricity production being carbon free by 2030 and the hope that USA progress will uh, encourage China, U the European Union, Japan, South Korea, and others. Guys, you got to put Great Britain in there now because they're no longer a part of the European Union. Right. As a part of, um, as a part of the, the answers. These are the largest emitters in the world right now. Um, so if uh, uh, the 
the Biden plan, as you see it, it's just a very small start. It's better than a small start, but it's still inadequate. Like I said, it's better than anything he's been associated with in the past. And they're, they're real. some of the, the things that you read are important, especially the last one. If the US can do something significant, since we're the biggest emitter per capita and historically, if the US can do something, then that will encourage other countries to do it. What happens is the countries hide behind each other. They blame right. the problem on the next country. And if we move, that that will take away being able to blame it at us. Well, you know, I think we, as, as Americans, we also have to be honest, right? We built our wealth on carbonizing the air. Absolutely. Which means uh, countries that have not yet built their wealth, uh, I think they justifiably can say, we want some sort of a compensation not to do to the planet, to the atmosphere, what you've done to enrich yourself, right? Isn't that something that is fair? That's, that's absolutely important. In Kyoto, uh, which was 97, it was the, like the yearly UN climate conference, they, they were starting to take that into account and that they, they knew there was historical, uh, there was a history that have, would have to be resolved and poor countries would have to be uh, compensated, compensated or helped in some way for the emissions that rich countries did because poor countries have very little in terms of emissions, Africa especially, right. but also India, even China and others. They, their, their per capita emissions are just a, a fraction of what here. So yes, yeah, something has to be done. And in Copenhagen in 09, they turned their back on what happened in Kyoto. And they, I mean, they really turned their back. And in, in, in uh, Paris in 2015, they finished that off by, by saying that poor countries cannot, uh, they made poor countries sign a document that said that they cannot sue rich countries for the damage done to them. It is amazing. You know, let me stop you there because it is amazing how uh, the, the, the capitalist countries work. It is always about uh, protecting something that you may have done uh, to hurt somebody else in order to do something that is good. That is, I mean, we see it in medicine, in, in the pharmaceutical industry. We see it in all these different industries across the board. And, and that is almost a destined failure. But continue, please. No, that, that was basically it. You know, they, they've turned their back on the poor countries. They were going to set up a fund. It was a small fund, not nearly enough, but at least they were going to do that. But they haven't funded that fund. Um, and so they've really turned their backs on the countries of, of Asia, uh, Latin America, and especially Africa. They've right. I have a history in Africa. That is a shame. I, I was, uh, that is a utter shame. I, I, before we go, I want to go ahead and say uh, you also at your excellent page on your website cite uh, that which the Biden plan does not cover appropriately. And what you say is one, it does not ban fracking. Two, methane leaked from frack wells is up to 80 times more potent than CO2, the gas we hear most about. It doesn't do anything about that. Dates for the ending of fossil fuel. Uh, extraction and fuel used, uh, which are early enough to avoid the worst of climate change, sufficient investment in research infrastructure, frontline communities and technology, 
uh, prog more progressive versions of a Green New Deal to allocate up to eight times the, uh, the, the money of Biden's plan, which means it's very inadequate attention to the voices of the communities of color. And why that is so important is right now, again, if you take a look at where most of the pollution occurs, where most of the CO2 is let out from factories, from refineries, it's generally in areas with people of color, which means you get more healthcare costs and all these other things, which right. further suppress their ability to build capital and to live a healthy life. And no, lastly, that's... currently the plan simple lists statistics and says it will stand up to fossil fuel companies without giving any real direction. All of that's absolutely true. The most important, some, well, all of that's really important. Another thing that is really important also is that Kerry and Biden both have a history of using market mechanisms, which, which are a way for corporations to say, I'll do something someplace else in India or China or, uh, or Indonesia but I don't want to cut emissions in our factories in this country. Right. And it's called market mechanisms or cap and trade. And it's just full of corruption always. And it won't work. It's never worked. It won't work. But it, you know, it's like they can say, well, we did this. Well, uh, and, and then when the it plays out. Our, econo our economic system, uh, Jerry, it's always about something. Uh, it's always capital over everything else. That's absolutely and, true. And if you put capital over everything else, uh, you lose the human, the human part about it. And unfortunately, those with capital can go ahead and live in a sterilized environment where they can control the atmosphere, but everybody else lives within the mess that they create. No, that's absolutely true. And it's a horror. You know, I, I started to say that I have a, a history in Africa from being in Peace Corps, but I also ha have joined uh, groups in Africa over the years. And so I, I, I'm not active in that sense, but I really track what's going on there. Right. Because like it's the canary in the coal mine and it's let, already let, happening. Let, I think it's great that you have this project. Uh, uh, it's called Texas Drought Project, of course. But uh, one of the th contentions that I have is we tend, as those that are progressive, tend to lean hard on the politicians. We lean hard on Biden. We lean hard on these things. Um, don't you think we need to start uh, doing more in the community proper so that we can build a bigger base of people who understand this stuff and really pressure the politician. Do you think maybe that that's that we need to put a bit more effort there? And that's a question I don't, I can't quite answer. You know, you should know that better than I can. No, we're trying to do that in our modest way. We're doing lots, lots of outreach to people of color. Uh, it's too, you know, it's late in the day, but we, we've been trying for a number of years to do that. Um, and it's important. There has to be a larger coalition than white environmentalists and much larger than that. And uh, the, the question is, you know, you, you say you're reaching out to the people of color. That's important. But also, let me, let me tell you something that, that bothers me many times within our body politic. Um, there is a mass of people. Let's look, at, let's look at the people who think the green. I just, before I came on air with you, I went and read AOC's Green New Deal resolution. I read the entire resolution. Uh -huh. And uh, the reason I wanted to read it is I wanted to see what it is that uh, all those Trump supporters 
were really upset about and the things that they said about it. And actually for the, his base, the Green New Deal is a hell of a deal for them. And yeah. uh, that they don't know that. And again, the, uh, the, you know, that to me, that is a big mass of people that we should also target. In other words, we don't only have to target the progressive coalition, but I think we have to find a way to target them too. My question to you is, how can you, how can we do that? What you're doing here is great, coming on to a program that has reached not only in a progressive sphere, but in a conservative sphere. But don't you think we have to uh, kind of get into more of that sphere as well? Yeah, I think we need to reach all, into all communities. I mean, we, 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 there are four people, that I'm, three other people that I'm working now, and we're, we're trying that. Uh, in terms of, uh, we're, we're, we're making inroads in labor, or labor is just moving, which is, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a split labor. Some people support climate action, others don't so much. But you had Texas AFL-CIO that passed uh, a year and a half ago at their summer conference, passed a pretty good, um, a pretty good bill, a resolution um, you have SEIU that's, that's working with us. You have National Nurses United that's working with us. And you have Ryan Pollock, who's with, uh, with the IBEW, the electricians, has done incredible work and stuff. And then you, you doing that, you get into way out of kind of middle class environmentalists. You get into working people. Uh, through the unions, uh, and we're 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 trying, but I. Well, let me. The fact <laughs> there are that, only four of us. But Jerry, Jerry, the, the fact that you're here and that you're putting this out, that is important. I I am give I'm throwing that clarion call out, not for you and your organization, but for other people who are going to be listening to uh, the program. Yeah. That we all have to do more all of us you are doing a lot you're out there your your organization from everything that i hear uh here in town and i'm in houston you're in austin everything that i hear you are you're you're a very hard working organization we need a lot more to do a hell of a lot of that kind of work mostly educating the people throughout the country uh, and not only not only progressives per se not only union people per se but this you know, when that, when that tsunami comes, it doesn't only affect progressives, it affects everybody. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, that's true. What, what I wanna do is encourage people to go to our website and there's a way to sign up or my, my phone number is there. The phone number of the other organizers is there. Lauren does Houston. Tenny, she's with uh, our revolution, but she's working with us half time. And we have, there's plenty of work to be done. Biden's climate bill will probably, will almost surely come for a vote in the first hundred days of his administration. Um, and we're, we're kind of scared that it might come earlier than later. Um, I'm a little bit reassured by uh, information I got yesterday that it, it won't be right away. It, mm -hmm. It'll it, it'll be slowed down a bit, um, and but there needs to be a, a gigantic mobilization happens in this state. That means 
we're, one thing we're asking every group that we talk to and every person that we ask to, do you have a list that you could, you know, call when the time comes? And everyone's saying yes. Um, so we hope that a lot of different groups will mobilize their email list and their Twitter and their this and that. Uh, well, Jerry, it has you know, to be gigantic. It can't be just, just half-hearted, not anywhere near that. Sheila Jackson Lee, we hope, I think she will be, she, uh, she will be a champion on this mm -hmm. issue. Al Green, we have hopes for. Lizzie Fletcher um, and Sylvia Garcia, it's going to be harder, but they're, they're signs of hope even, you know, with them. Uh, and that's kind of how it is all over the state. There, there's some Congress people that we want to be champions. Lloyd Doggett's one that comes, Veronica Escobar yes, in El Paso yes, yes. comes to mind. Well, that is, that is great, uh, Jerry. Jerry, um, before we close here, what would you have liked me to ask you? What would you like to put out there that I hadn't asked or that you want to get out there? Uh, almost everything. I just want to say one, once again, go to our website, Texas Drought Project, and you'll find phone numbers that you can call, call any of the organizers. Um, and it's time to mobilize. I mean, we may only have a month left before this is decided and what the U.S. does, as I've said before, will de may determine what other countries do. This isn't a problem just for the U.S., but the fact that we're such a huge emitter per capita, it, we're, if we move, that will move other countries. Uh, Jerry Locke, director of Texas Drought Project. You can reach him at uh, you can get to their website at texasdroughtproject.org, yes. texasdroughtproject.org. Please go there, sign up, help the movement. The environment belongs to us all. Let's make sure and get this right. Uh, it's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Jerry, you, uh, thank you for all the work that you do. You please keep doing what you're doing. And thank you for the thoughtful interview. We, all right, folks, uh, let me address something here. First of all, Scott Fulis, you get the prize of the day. Your response to people who are asking about the price tag. In the middle, uh, the price tag of all these, the Green New Deal, the price tag of paying for infrastructure and all of that, your response was, in the middle of the huge recession, it would be advisable to simply do this work as stimulus Paying for it wouldn't be a problem. Just print the money. Inflation wouldn't be a problem. You hit the nail on the head. There are too many people who think that the federal government's bank account looks like your personal bank account. It does not look like that at all. It is important to know that uh, uh, MMT, um, tell me what MMT stands for. Uh, modern monetary theory is actually correct. It's what we've done when we when businesses have been in trouble we have used mmt without calling it mmt okay but let me explain a few things to my dear brothers and sisters who uh get panicked when they hear oh we're going to spend 4.9 trillion dollars out of deficit spending the only way the money loses value and has no value is if you cannot manufacture that which is needed. We don't have a problem with supply at all. We have a problem with demand. What that means is we need to get money as fast as possible 
into people's hands to create demand so that the economy can start turning. You only get inflation if you have too much money chasing products that do not exist or products that are in scarce supply. That is the definition of inflation, and that is what makes your economy go haywire. If you have an economic system where there's a lot of need, there's a lot of work to be done, but you can somehow use the excuse that there's no money, it's the reason why people must starve, die and, and, uh, from health problems, from starvation and other things, that is not a viable economic system. We really don't have that. Capitalism with uh, capitalism, or I should call it free enterprise, with a strong social safety net is forever sustainable. The problem is that the type of capitalism that we run does not want that behavior for reasons that, that go beyond the scope of today's talk. So, um, and so Hayes, my brother Eric Hayes, we don't have a problem paying for anything that the Green New Deal's demand. And if you read, you know, people are scared of the Green New Deal. Read it. Don't fear it. Don't listen to what other people tell you about the Green New Deal. Read the Green New Deal resolution and tell me what in the Green New Deal resolution you do not agree with. Take it from those of us who study economics as well. We can afford it, my brothers and my sisters. We can afford it. Uh, Rose Williams says, as, has seen, as I said, most of the problem has been caused by the world, uh, first world countries, and we will be the f last affected because of our temperate global location. Uh, Eric Hayes said, what is the cost? Uh, the cost is what it is. I mean, it all depends on how fast we do it, etc. for the Green New Deal. But the thing about it is, it's something that we must have. It's something we cannot not afford. I want you to remember that the Green New Deal and all these policies are things we cannot not afford. Okay? So um, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along. I think tomorrow I'm going to be doing, I think tomorrow we do some uh, voter suppression stuff among other topics based on what occurs today and tomorrow. Of course, tomorrow we get our new president. Okay, uh, Eric says infrastructure too can't turn on wind and sun. Yes, they can. You see, and, and Eric, I'm going to stay a minute longer because that is the those are the those are the statements that the right wing machine puts out there that sounds practical to you because they don't tell you the whole story. So let me try to tell you the whole story, brother Eric Hayes. Yes, it is possible to run entirely off of solar energy and wind power. There is enough wind and solar in this world to actually run electricity 24-7. You want to know how it's done? It's called back-in store. It's called storage technology. It is the same thing that gas... You know, when you, get a, when you get a gallon of gas, you know what a gallon of gas is? A gallon of gas is solar energy that has been stored for a very long time in the form of fossilized, uh, car carbon, carbonized, you know, fossils, etc. The difference is that runs out in a short amount of time. However, the, if, for those who follow history, who doesn't think the earth began, what, 
however, 6,000 years ago or whatever. We understand that at one point in time, this earth was a lot hotter. It has a lot more green. All those materials died and turned into oil. And the cycle would go over again. The difference now is that we have... No, no, natural gas has the same problems that oil has, just with a lot, a lot less soot, okay? Uh, if you take a look at the breakdown, the, the chemical breakdown of gas, and all, I mean, it's the same. What we want is renewable energy. Renewable energy means as long as the sun will last, our planet can last. That's what it is. As long as our sun lasts, our planet can last. And what that means is we can harness all that energy. It is there. Don't believe the lies of the right. They are working for industries whose interest is to ensure that it doesn't happen. Making batteries can be done in a non-polluting manner. Again, Hayes, we cannot... Uh, brother, I know you're, where you get your news from. We can make batteries in a non-polluting manner. Much less polluting than throwing carbon in the air, throwing methane in the air, etc., etc., etc. But I got to go. Love you all. Thank you so kindly for being here. For those of you who just got a cups, uh, Bridge MCP and, and uh, Michael Rudnick, appreciate it. Other people, please go to our store. I'm going to put that in there one more time to try to see if we can entice a few more people to go to our store. And also to go to our PayPal and also to go to our Patreon. And please, if you're on YouTube, please consider joining. We do need your support. There you go for PayPal. And here we are going to go for Patreon. And then I'll be out of here. Got to get out of here because I have another interview to bring you guys either tomorrow. I th I'll bring this one to you either tomorrow or the day after. You know, it, it's, it's a 16-hour day, brothers and sisters. Here we go. And there's another one. Politics and Right. That YouTube, please consider becoming members of one of what we have to offer. My name is Egberto Willis. I thank you so kindly for being here. I know you can be anywhere else, but you're here with us. We're together. We're moving the world forward. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.